Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Grant. And uh, how are you? Oh, I'm quite uh, keen to be hearing this uh, interview. It's a topic I um, love so much. Yes, yes, I do. Uh, I could almost hear your your squeal of excitement when I sent you the email to uh, get the process rolling. Today, we're talking to Lawrence Kane, the co-founder of hugely successful craft brewery company, Capital Brewing Co., Apart from making some of Australia's most highly regarded beers, Lawrence and the team have been committed to making their operations as sustainable as possible. So much so that Capital Brewing was recently named Australia's first climate active certified fully carbon neutral brewery. It's quite a mouthful. Uh, but basically says that uh, that the the setup is really impressive and the team are doing some amazing work. So Lawrence is joining us from the capital. Hi, Lawrence. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Very well. We're really keen uh, to get a to get a picture about Capital Brewing and and who you are and how um you know the operations as such. But then to really look at how a craft brewery has become a guiding light in terms of how op- uh, you know a, a manufacturer as such can get their operations to a point of being fully carbon neutral. So uh, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> Where did Capital Brewing begin? Yeah, so me and my business partner, Tommy, uh, we both grew up here in Canberra and we've been working, we met working behind cocktail bars um, back in about 2003 and um, we became really good mates and we started our first business together called Honky Tonks here in the city Um, and it was the first venue in Canberra that focused on selling all um, independent Australian-owned beer, craft beer. Um, And we built the place mostly out of recycled materials because we didn't really have enough money to build a bar. And um, over time, we just improved it. And through doing that, we got really, really into beer. And we it was in the early days, you know, before you could even order a keg from Young Henry's, for example, we'd drive up to Sydney every few weeks and we'd load 19 kegs onto the back of our ute and we'd drive it back from the Grifter or Young Henry's. And they'd come in these these kegs that they borrowed off, they called it Uncle Tui's. They borrowed kegs off Uncle Tui's. They'd spray the Young Henry's logo on the side. <laughs> and you know, we were the only venue that had Young Henry's on tap. And oh, anyway, wow. long story short, we became good friends with Oscar at Young Henry's. We became friends with Matt from The Grifter. And um, we were like, geez, this, um, this, this industry is cool. Like we love running venues. We love craft beer. And it seems like the people in this industry are really awesome. And so we just wanted to get more and more into beer full time. And, um, you know, after about five or six years or so, um, we've been planning the brewery for, you know, pretty much, yeah, five or six years. And then we finally got to the point where we were like, all right, let's pull the pin and do this. And we had, we, we had two venues. We had Honky Tonks and another one called Hippo Bar, and they were right on top of each other. And, you know, they were profitable and, 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 and all that. They, were, they weren't changing the world. We weren't getting rich off them, but <laughs> was we, were, we were making a decent living. You had a roof and, over your head. We had a roof over our head um, and I include that because I turned to my wife, Mayuri, one day I said, look, we're selling both the bars and we're going to start this brewery. 
And <laughs> it was like, really, you want to do that? Okay. And so, yeah, we sold both those venues and basically put everything that we had into, um, into starting the brewery in 2016. Okay. I didn't realize it was, um, you guys were so young. Uh, that's, you've achieved a lot in, uh, in six years. Yeah, well, actually, we first brewed our beers in Sydney at Harryman Brewery and at Wayward. Um, like, we uh, we were brewing there and then bringing the beer back. And then we were sort of getting enough sales runs on the board to build our own brewery. And then we started building that and we got it going in 2017 here in Canberra. Um, and our head brewer is from San Diego and he came over. And, you know, he's from Southern California where it's warm. And he came over and checked out Australia. Yeah, he came in the middle of summer. We took him down the coast. It was this great trip. He loved it. He agreed to move to Australia. Anyway, when he arrived, it was the middle of August. And it was minus 10 degrees outside. Sorry, minus 8 outside and minus 10 in the warehouse. And (laughs) we bought him a a MacPack puffer jacket. And he was he was legitimately worried that the yeast wasn't going to work. It was so cold. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he didn't know what hit him. And he's still here with us today. You know, six six years on, he's wow. He's moved over. He's got an Australian wife and two kids now. So. Oh, oh, look. I mean, you know, from starting from probably thinking he was brought over under false pretenses to uh, <laughs> he's clearly uh, he's clearly now committed. Hundred percent. Yeah, he's um he's yeah he's amazing, Wade. Obviously, the love of beer is there. That's apparent. But where did the sustainability elements and and the interest and commitment to that come from? Was that just part of who you and Tommy, you know, were and are? Yeah, look, I guess so. We sort of um, grew up in an area of Canberra that's known as um, the Lentil Belt or the Birkenstock Belt, if you like. (laughs) (laughs) I had not heard of this. That is great. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, um, you know, it's a pretty progressive area that we grew up in and we're both with pretty progressive parents. And we're also both really into um, mountain biking, surfing, ski, and, you know, cross-country skiing. And I guess we're pretty aware from particularly skiing, you really see the effects of climate change firsthand when you spend a lot of time in the mountains in the backcountry. Um, you really see kind of what's happening um, and the decline in snowfall over the years and the the way the snowpack changes. And um, so having, and I went on a climbing trip in New Zealand and this is what really solidified it in my mind. Anyway, I went on a climbing trip in New Zealand and climbed up um, Grey Peak. Um, it's a, it's like a mixed ice and rock climbing route and was looking down into the Tasman Glacier and you could see just from, from the 1980s, I was with an older dude that had been climbing there his whole life. This is the recession of this glacier. And I think when you see that firsthand, you can't walk away from that, or I couldn't anyway, walk away from that and go, oh, well, I'm just going to start businesses and not really think too much about the mess they leave behind. So, um, you know, I believe really strongly in human life is in its current form is not really sustainable. So I, I think that we've each got a responsibility to kind of minimise that where we can. Um, and I guess that's we've tried to do that with our business um, as much as we, we could. Um, and we've recently just taken, you know, a bigger step in that direction. But it's, um, yeah, I guess to answer your question, it's just from those kind of experiences outside, 
I guess our experience growing up. I went to a Steiner school as well. That probably helps, you know, when you're playing <laughs> playing the recorder and doing tie dye. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's probably a mix of all of those elements, and we just, we just thought, you know, if we're going to be trying to sell as much beer as we possibly can and take as much volume away from you know multinational owned companies, which is you know one of the things that we do really well, um, then um, you know we've got an obligation to um, to minimise our footprint. And so, was it something? Obviously, it was in your mind. It was in your mindset from the get go. And it's taken six years to get to this point where you've achieved this certification. Uh, has it? What's that process been like? Yeah, it was a culmination of a lot of efforts over that period in planning. Um, and we we got to this point where we were like, we're doing all of these smaller things within the business, like using um, biodegradable shrink wrapping. I think we use three hundred and sixty kilometers of shrink wrapping a year. Um, you know, on pallets, which is not, you can't avoid it. Like, um, and we've switched to biodegradable and we're composting our hop and yeast waste and sending our grain to farmers, which most breweries do that anyway. Um, but, uh, and then we were like, well, what, what more can we do? And what can we do that kind of demonstrates to the people that are considering or are drinking our beer? that we actually care about it because we think that other people care about it too, um, and they do. Um, and we looked at 1% for the planet and we looked at, you know, a few different options. And at the end of all of that, we thought, you know what, carbon offsetting and actually certifying as carbon neutral and having to go through that external audit process is the way forward for us because it does two things. It puts a voluntary environmental tax on the business. So um, it's where the government's not willing to do that, we are, and we need to. Um, it provides, because we release a public disclosure statement, it provides complete transparency to our consumers of exactly what we've done. There's no opacity of like, well, what carbon credits did they buy? How many did they buy? Where did that go to? So we wanted to be make sure that that process was really clear to our, to our team so that our team can be really proud of it and to our you know, customers and our consumers. So, yeah, we decided, long story short, we decided that that Climate Active Program, you know, was probably the, the best fit for us based on our, our beliefs and what we wanted to achieve for the business. And just uh, for those that aren't um, across it, Climate Active is a certificate, a carbon neutral certification process that comes through the federal government, isn't it? And it and it applies. I'm not sure if this is just for you or if it's for everyone that every company that gets it through Climate Active. That your climate neutrality is through the entire organisation as well as just the products you're making. It's not, you know, that. Yeah, that's a really good point, and that's something that we were really strong on. Was that you can. You can just climate. Um, you can just carbon offset your organization, right? And that's that's not really where the emissions are. The emissions are in the products. The emissions are in the aluminium cans. They're in the freight. They're in the 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 barley, the gas, the electricity, all of the stuff that goes into making beer. That's where the emissions sit. Some other breweries have offset their business operations, and then they've put branding out there that's you know claiming to be 
carbon neutral, but really the product that's in that branding is not carbon neutral. Um, and that's one thing, you know, I'll be upfront, I, uh, and I was very upfront with this with the um, Climate Active people. We almost didn't go with that certification because I was so concerned that um, those comms had gone out. Um, and it just didn't seem very truthful um, in, my, in my view. So, but look, I think that nothing's perfect either. You know, you've got to accept that. And, um, you know, we're trying to do our best and so are a lot of other people. So at the end of the day, we just decided that we would make sure that we offset our... Firstly, the important thing is that we calculated the emissions, right? Because now we know in our business... That's how much, yeah, that's how much you're emitting. From like aluminium cans, from grain, from freight, from gas, like where are our emissions coming from? And then when we're making an an investment decision in our business to go, well, we want to spend a million bucks on the refrigeration, what's the return on investment? We can do a calculation to show how much less electricity we're going to use or because we're using a low global warming potential refrigerant, um, how many less emissions are going to be on our annual emissions calculation because of that. And so it reduces our offsetting requirement at the end of the year. So by having that incentivization within the business, there's an econ- now by having that self-imposed tax, there's also an incentivization to reduce our emissions because we get the economic benefit, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's actually where the evidence lies in terms of people holding back because it's going to cost too much. But then the realisation that, look, there is there is ultimately a reward that that is bigger than just feeling like you're doing something and and doing something for the planet or doing something for the good is you are actually going to get a return on that level of investment in terms of a financial or a business orientated um, and you know outcome. What's the process in trying to get those figures together? So the amount of emissions that are coming from the aluminium that you're using or the logistics of your distribution process or even just from the from the brewing process, are those sort of statistics and figures easy to find once you're looking for them or is it a much more in-depth process than that? Yeah, it's a pretty in-depth process. So um, first of all, you have to use a climate active registered carbon accountant. And so we chose Pangolin and Associates um, to work with to do all of our, our life cycle assessment of our product and also our business. Um, and they send over a very detailed list of the kind of information they need, and that includes um, how many cans you used, where those cans went, um, so and and how much grain you used, how many hops you used, um, right through to um, staff. We did a full staff survey to see how people are, are travelling into work. Um, so we fact- factored in staff travel to work. Um, obviously, our electricity, our gas, and our water bills, um, and our waste streams were audited as well. Um, and I'll get back to waste streams in a second because there's something pretty interesting there. And then Pangolin, um, Pangolin calculates the carbon emissions created from all of those activities, right? And they give us a really detailed list and then a pie chart of where the emissions are coming from, which then gives us the ability to go, well, hey, you know, maybe we can reduce emissions really, you know, relatively quickly and easily by putting in this piece of equipment that's going to reduce our water and chemical consumption. And then, you know, we can start having reduction strategies. And so long story short, it's a pretty detailed process with a carbon accounting company. Then it gets independently audited by an auditor. 
And so they go through all of the carbon um, calculations and also all of the base data. And the auditor asks a bunch of questions, asks for a bunch more information, which we supplied. And then the auditor says, yes, it's okay or no, it's not. And then it goes to, for certification with Climate Active. Now, the, um, I guess there's a couple of elements there. If you've got really good record keeping within your business, like you've got an enterprise resource management system like we do, um, it's relatively easy to s- scrape that data out of a system and say, you know, this is how many cans we used and this is the postcodes that, you know, we have 500 pallets go to this postcode and 200 go to that postcode and they can calculate it. Um, it still took months of work for um, our supply chain team to get there. So, and, and I guess that leads on to why we were so keen to be involved in this um, sort of calculation tool um, this model, if you like, that we developed in partnership with Anglin and, and, and the Climate Active team um, because we spent months, months, maybe eight months researching on and off like how best to achieve this and what, you know, what the steps were, how much it was going to cost and how much time it was going to cost. Did we have the internal resources to do it, all this sort of stuff. And we eventually settled on Climate Active and Pangolin and we were like, well, if we've done all of that work just to get to this point, we, we should give that work to other people so they don't have to do all of that work because it's just stupid for other people to have to do it again. <laughs> um, and, and so now Pangolin and Climate Active have this model. Um, it's not free to use, but it will get your emissions calculated for um, about 50, 40 to 50% of the cost if, if the model didn't exist, say, for example. Is what is what Pangolin's kind of spoken to me about, and it's also, I mean, it's also not a matter just of cost either, is it? I mean, that's that that eight months or however long it took for for the you know the capital team to pull it together. Once you calculate the amount of money that cost your your company, you know, I mean, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, Tommy and I could be driving matching Teslas right now, but I know, of, right? <laughs> and listen, and listen, then the and then the craft brewing neckbeard would be complete. You know, being a Tesla, you're driving around with your with your uh, Nipa will be great. Yeah, instead I've got a mountain bike that's worth more than my car. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did. You got to stay true to those. You know, the Birkenstock belt roots. Yeah, absolutely. Got a goat's out on a Friday afternoon, and. I- <laughs> <laughs> on a gluten-free birdseed cracker, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So I guess one of the other things with this template or, you know, this system that that has resulted from your process is, I mean, that can, it can be applied to a brewery or a business of any size. Is that fair or would it need to, would you need to be operating on, on scale for it to to work? Oh, look, yeah, I, th- I would say it can be applied to any brewery from, is my understanding, probably up to a certain size. Like if you tried to attach it to like a huge multinational, and you know, there's just too many complexities there. But I'd say for like a, a smallish brewery, I guess, you know, we're kind of on the medium size now in the craft beer landscape, um, I, I, I guess. Um, but if, yeah, I, from a really small brewery all the way up to like a medium-ish, large kind of one, I think, yeah, you could pretty effectively use it from what I understand. Yeah. yeah. Well, and particularly, I guess, for those that are, of a, you know, um, of a size that might not have dedicated sustainability team or, um, you know, expertise as well. 
You mentioned earlier that there was something interesting to talk about with waste. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we we have this set up with Lantasia Organic Farms that are just, um, you know, in the town up the road from us here you know, near Bungador. And they are an organic cattle farm, and so they take all of our spent grain, and that's common for brewers to give their spent grain or sell their spent grain to farmers. We give, we give it to Lantasia, but they also have a massive organic compost um, set up there. And so in most breweries our size, uh, your yeast and hop waste will go down the drain. And we send about, you know, between 7 to 12 tonnes of it a week out to Lantasia and they compost it into organic compost. And then that compost in turn gets sold to organic market gardeners that, that buy it to put on their vegetables. And then those vegetables get sold at the Capital Region Farmers Market here at, you know, Epic in town on Saturday mornings. And um, anyway, the interesting thing about that is that if we hadn't have been doing that, if we had have been sending those to the drain or landfill, um, it would have almost doubled our carbon emissions. That's how bad landfill is and waste going to landfill in terms of its you know, emissions factor. So I thought that was really interesting and that um, we, get, we gave them the data of you know, the waste that was side-streaming and it wasn't quite double. It was just under like, um, maybe two-thirds or thereabouts. That's amazing because so you're saying you're 12, 12 tonnes a week, let's take the top end of, of the amount. And that it's almost, yeah, halves your carbon emissions. That's remarkable. Yeah, and it's also a really valuable input for Lantasia because hops are green matter, right? And that's full of nitrogen. And to compost effectively, you need nitrogen and carbon. And basically they create this kind of hot composting system full of microbes and other organisms and you get a beautiful compost. Um, I'm a bit of a compost nerd. Um, but the... I've got a pretty serious backyard compost. You're painting, you're painting quite yeah. a picture, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, we need to redo the. Uh, we need to redo the intro, Grant. It needs to be something like you know, from a Steiner school in the Birkenstock Belt of Canberra. <laughs> well, actually, Rose. Um, my my wife will wish that I didn't mention this, but I got so into composting at one point about um, six years ago. I had a composting toilet in our garage. <laughs> which I was exclusively using, <laughs> and I got a lot of I got a lot of flack around the house. Wow! For, for wow! Sure. Like it, but you know, it worked, and it was great on fruit trees, and we had um we had beautiful compost as a result of it. Yeah. Well, uh, look, I'm not I'm not going to question that. I'm, <laughs> I'm just no, going to take your word for it. Moving right along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, you know, Lawrence, you're you're the co-founder of a very successful and, uh, you know, craft brewing company in Australia. And, you know, many of your beers are loved by many, including my husband who would happily sit and drink a couple of rock hoppers every single night. Um, what's your favourite brew? Um, I, I guess it depends on on the vibe, but I really love XBA and, um, you know, if I look for a fruitier beer or Coast Ale, I've been having a bit of, um, yeah, so they're probably my two main go-tos. But then I walked up to the packaging room the other day and there'd been a malfunction in the seamer head and there was a couple of cans of trail that just came straight fresh off the line through the seamer without a lid on them. I picked the can up and drank half of it. And I was like, geez, that beer's tasting good. I haven't had trail in a long time. So, yeah, look, I think um, I oscillate pretty wildly, but I think probably Coaster XBA my two favorites. 
And what sort of experimentation do you do? Like, do you guys muck around a lot? Just sort of in terms of, oh, let's try this, let's throw that in there and see what that does. Or am I just really insulting the industry by saying that? Oh, no, we take things very seriously. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can tell. I can, yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, so interestingly, um, we we decided to have a far greater focus on um, research and development brewing in the last sort of 18 months, and we've just bought a little pilot brew system. So it'll just run 350 litres of beer instead of 3,500 litres of beer. <laughs> yeah. in a tank. Yeah. And um, our head brewer, Wade, he's like, a bit of a savant in terms of recipe development and, you know, he's more of an artist than a kind of real, than a sort of production dude. He's just got an incredible flair for making recipes. And so in a lot of ways we bought that system for him to really experiment more on. Did you buy way to toy? <laughs> kind of, yeah, to make up for the cold winter. Yeah. And um, we put in some additional taps here in our tap room just so that we can be experimenting with new hops that are coming out, with new methods, with different unusual ingredients, and then be sort of using our taproom guests as test guinea pigs, if you like, on those taps that are dedicated to that system and getting feedback from our, our people, you know, that are coming into the taproom and just getting feedback from people on what they're liking, what they're not, what worked, what didn't. And, um, yeah, so in answer to your question, we're doing heaps more experimental stuff i mean in the first three years we were just like holy crap what have we done here like how do we how do we keep up with the amount of beer we've got to make and i guess the thing that we've encountered is we're constantly constantly um at the tipping point of not meeting demand like we can just make enough beer and then we add a couple of tons and then we've got a you know so then summer comes and we can only just make enough and we're running out our warehouse is getting empty and we're working out how to make more beer um and we were like, well, I really, you know, we're not doing any innovation on our main system. So we, to, to innovate, we have to have its own standalone system because otherwise we're going to be letting down our customers by not having Coast Ale on the shelf, you know, so, or, or Rock Hopper, you know. So that's, um, yeah, we're having heaps of fun with it. Wade's um, really enjoying it and the rest of the team. So. Well, that's very exciting and we can't wait to see uh, what uh, potential new breweries are going to come out of that that experimentation happening uh, down there in the nation's capital. Lawrence, it's just been fantastic to talk to you. It's, uh, you know, we do this all the time in terms of finding companies that are doing exciting things and are so passionate about what they do, but also, you know, have a great enthusiasm and sense of humour about their life and the work that they're doing. It's been an absolute joy talking to you and congratulations on reaching the certification. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it. It's great. Well, thanks, Lawrence. Thanks, Kim. I've really enjoyed that discussion. Craft beer being one of my favourite things in the world. <laughs> in so, the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's right up there with flying for me. I know. Um, it's good stuff. <laughs> Anyhow, thanks to you both. That was really good. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from great discussions such as you've heard today. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative uh, chat. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. 
If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.